Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is May the 7th, 2020. This is episode 2655 of the Survival Podcast. And I'm going to talk about COVID again today. And I'm, But the title of today's show is What I Think About COVID at This Point in the Game. So... That title alone should tell you I'm going to give you a lot of opinion today. I'm also going to give you a lot of fact. I'm going to try, as I always do, to delineate very clearly between this is my opinion and these are facts. And, and, and basically, most of the show should be, this is my opinion because of these facts. And if you want to argue my opinion, then you need to, to, you need to explain to me either how I got the facts wrong or you need to bring me new fact in addition to the fact that I've presented to you to counter the facts, right? Saying you're wrong is also an opinion. But I always try to bring you my opinion based on facts, logic, reason, and sources. Okay? If you don't do that, then basically you're full of shit. And I don't care what your credentials are. I think one of the biggest problems we have today is we are worshiping credentials while we shit on credentials. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we have... For instance, and I don't think I have a link to this one doctor. Hopefully I'll remember and not flake out. We have a doctor who is working in ICU units in New York City, inside the ICU. This doctor is actively treating ICU-level COVID patients. Keep that in mind as I go forward. That was what he was doing. He's not one of the Bakersfield doctors from California that we're going to talk about today in a different way. He is just a doctor. He did not come out and say COVID is a scam. He did not come out and say anything really against the primary narrative. He came out and said this. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that we're using respirators the way that we should be. When I look at COVID patients and I compare them to patients I've treated in ICUs with pneumonia before, they don't look the same. It does not appear that they are presenting in the same way. I think using high-pressure ventilators, we may be killing more patients than we're saving. These patients are exhibiting something that looks a lot more like altitude sickness, failure of the blood to oxygenate, versus the lungs actually failing to be able to breathe. And when we put them on oxygen, they tend to do better. And I've seen patients take the oxygen tube out of their nose and in moments go into a state of panic that goes away since you put the oxygen back. And I think we really need to evaluate how we're using respirators. And I'm not saying we can't use them. Maybe we need to be programming them differently. Maybe we need to be turning the pressure down. That was what he said. And then he did a follow-up and explained what ARDS is video. And he did another video that was basically the same as the first video I described, but a little bit shorter version, and saying, I'm continuing to see this. This is what I'm seeing. This looks like a blood disorder versus a primary problem of the lungs. It looks like this virus is causing a blood disorder that's creating low oxygen levels in the blood. And I think we need to address it. That was what he did. His videos were taken down. He was silenced as spreading dangerous misinformation. This is a doctor, not some guy on Medium with a blog. This is a doctor actively treating patients in an ICU who simply said, hey, we need to look at this and his videos were taken down, and the man has been slandered and threatened with disciplinary action if he says any more. That's just one of the many scary things that I'm going to tell you about today. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. Even if he's wrong, that is not how you handle someone when you're dealing with science and medicine if you are actually playing by the rules of science and medicine that is wrong. You come out and say, this is where this information is flawed. And then you have vigorous public debate. I'm going to tell you about another woman today that was sent to jail for five years and never actually charged. Held as a fugitive from justice, whatever the F that is. Ordered to keep her mouth shut for five years. Who had her research stolen by none other than Tony Fauci. Which directly led to more people dying from AIDS than ever should have. And he's still in power. And I'm going to tell you about that today. I'm going to tell you about a documentary that you can watch. And I'm not even going to say that I agree with everything in that documentary. I'm not going to say that I agree with everything that woman said. There's things that I absolutely find credible. There's things I absolutely believe she believes. And there's things I'm not sure on. I haven't had time to do the research yet and determine whether or not I completely agree with everything or not. I'm still going to give it to you and give you the synopsis of it and let you go watch 25 minutes of a video for yourself. The thing is you won't be able to watch that on YouTube because, yeah, they took it down because it's dangerous misinformation. This, again, this is not how you handle scientific debate. This is not how you handle medical debate. In any world approaching anything of fairness, reason, and logic, in any world where you actually want the truth, you do not handle things this way. And more and more is coming. That's just one piece of this. I'm going to talk to you today about the absolutely flawed, how you can do a randomized, you know, by the book, good study of a medication like hydroxychloroquine and, and still rig it so that it will fail. How you can take another drug like Rendesivir, test it, get no better results than you did with hydroxychloroquine, even though your, your, your research, me research methodology was flawed for hydroxychloroquine. Validly prove that remdesivir actually is worth using, but not reduce, reduce the death rate and look people straight in the face and tell them that, that oh, this $1,000 a dose medication is superior to this one that's 50 cents a dose, and it's safer even though this one that's 50 cents a dose is 70 years old. I'm going to tell you that today, too, and a whole bunch more. I'm going to base this on what we now know. I'm going to rehash what I got wrong, something I sure as hell wish that more scientists, doctors, and politicians were willing to do. And I'm going to tell you that in some ways, even though I got some things wrong, we're right back where we started with what I think. A massive knee-jerk overreaction to this virus that is a problem that is dangerous for some people, but there was no reason to ever go to the level that we did. And I'm going to even tell you the silver bullet to kill the werewolf that keeps trying to tell you, hey, you know what? Sweden is killing people over there. Their model is flawed. If we did what Sweden did, there'd be millions, millions, millions of dead Americans. Because, first of all, the, the raw numbers don't work out that way. But when you understand one mistake that Sweden made, and to be fair to the epidemiologist in Sweden who made the call, has admitted was a mistake, said we should not have done this, said this was our one big mistake, And if we had done it, the numbers would look better and we're doing what we can to fix it, unlike a certain governor of a certain big state in, in the United States who made the same error, who's doubled down on it not being a mistake and has pretended he had nothing to do with it now. And I'm going to tell you how right now the air is starting to feel like a scene from the first Rambo movie, First Blood. A scene that actually didn't get violent. But it was the beginning of where all the violence came from and why if we don't do something here, violence in a real way is in our future, in a huge way. 
is in our future in a way that most people in this country can't imagine is in our future. It needs to be headed off. And we even need to use the political process to whatever degree we can that I generally abstain from. And I'll tell you why we have to do that as we go through today's show. With that, before we do, um, let's start off with a quote of the day that feeds into all this about the truth. George Washington once said, Truth will ultimately prevail where there is pains to bring it into light. Right now, there are tremendous pains being made to bring the truth into light, not just about COVID. Um, one of one of the people I share information from, who I don't agree with on everything, to a large degree, I think this guy's actually way too hard on law enforcement. There's actually some things he says about law enforcement that honestly make me kind of want to slap the guy, even though I consider him a friend. Okay? But he posted a video. And, and, but I'll tell you the thing, though. Opinions are one thing, facts are another. When the guy posts something and says, this thing happened this way, you bet your ass it did. He never has his facts wrong. And he posted a video of a law enforcement officer, a cop, speaking out about how bad some of the shit cops have been doing is. A cop speaking against cops. Okay? And what I said to that was, right now, doctors are speaking out. Nurses are speaking out. Now, of course, that's largely related to COVID. Scientists are speaking out, also largely related to COVID right now. But also, teachers are speaking out. Cops are speaking out. All these groups that the, the authority has told you are heroes that don't wear capes for so long are speaking out. The very people you've been kissing the ass of for 30 years, members in those groups are speaking out and saying, hey, there are systemic level flaws and what's going on inside these organizations that you've been told to worship, you need to stop. Will you listen to them? Will you listen to them? Most of you won't. And when I say most of you, I'm speaking to all of America. This audience, I think most of the audience will. When you have cops coming out and saying, hey, yeah, I've seen other cops plant evidence, stop saying it doesn't happen. Stop saying, if you had apples, like a moron. When you have teachers coming out telling you the, the, the absolute waste of your money and the failure that we, we, are, we are committing on the American people's children inside the school system, start listening to them. When you have doctors coming out saying, hey, I think we're killing people with respirators, treating them with COVID, and he's a guy that's actually treating people with respirators with COVID, at least examine what he has to say. Ask the deeper question. Let's get some more data on that before we shut them down. But that's not how the truth works. Lies tend to be comforting. Lies tend to come from authority. Authority is what has taught you, indoctrinated you, and conditioned you. It is far easier to get people to believe lies today than to get them to believe the truth, especially if they've already believed the lie. Think about that as we go through today's show. So, so I've got so much for you guys today. I, I want to start out with something that I wrote today. And I have yet to see anything approaching an attempt to respond to this. Um, I, I, anything. And I, I've said it other ways in other places. And I have seen people get very mad. I've seen people get very upset. I've seen people scream and yell. I've seen people post the same article that I was referring to when I said this doesn't cut it. But I have yet to see anybody make 
a reasonable, rational, logical rebuttal to what I'm about to say. This has to do with the two doctors from Bakersfield, California, that came out and said we need to end these lockdowns. I've talked about them before on the air, so if you've heard recent episodes, you've probably heard me talk about them. But basically, they're, 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 they're not saying we should just go back to the way everything was. What they're saying is you lock people up in dark apartments for months on end, you kill their immune system. When they eventually come out, they're going to get sick with things other than COVID while the medical field is largely furloughed and the hospitals are largely empty, and that's not good. What we need to do is slowly remove these lockdowns, but start immediately, monitor things, put out hot spots, and protect the most vulnerable. For that, they've been attacked, they've had their videos taken down, etc. They make a case in there multiple times, in multiple ways, about how low the actual risk to the average person of actually dying from COVID is, or getting COVID really is. Or even if you would know if you got COVID. And they, they, the thing is that they mention their own testing results, which of course is testing people to see if they have COVID. And all of the attempts to rebut this hone in on that, and the flaw in it being, of course, well, you only see the people that have symptoms. That's not indicative of how many people actually have COVID. But they also rely on antibody testing. And they rely not on antibody testing of just like a marketing firm in, in one place in California, but official, run by our own authority that we're supposed to believe, approved laboratory testing for antibodies, let's say, in the city of New York, where the official number is now 24% of New York has had, New York City has had COVID. 24%. Keep that in mind as I read what I wrote today. And I want you to really listen to when I say final note. Really open your ears all the way if you kind of tune in and out when you're driving or something when you listen to this. I have read a few well-written rebuttals to the two California doctors who say we should end lockdowns. They're well-written, but they have a huge problem. Every rebuttal I have read or heard employs a fallacy known as the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. Honing in on references to tests that are positive, referenced by the doctors in their own practice, but ignoring the reality of antibody testing that their actual case rests on. Please use your God-given brain a minute. The official number, as of a week ago, now in New York City, is a 24% infection rate. The governor of New York says this is a valid number. The CDC says this is a valid number. 24% of 8.6 million is almost 2 million cases. Of those 2 million cases, only roughly 330,000 were symptomatic enough to even be found via testing for the virus itself. And even many of those were found as clusters and themselves were asymptomatic. This means about 1.7 million people, at least, had and got over COVID without even knowing they had it. To attack these two doctors while ignoring that component of the infection rate is either intellectually dishonest, demonstrates incompetence, or is based on ignorance. If anyone can explain away those numbers, please do so. I will 100% listen to anything you have to say. Please don't point to an article or a video that ignores these numbers. If, however, you can explain around them, go ahead. In the words of Dr. Fraser Crane, I'm listening. Final note, while I'm at it, the bozo governor of New York made the absolutely stupid decision to send COVID-positive elderly patients back to elder care facilities and indeed banned those facilities from not letting them in. This alone accounted for over 50% of the death rate 
in New York City. Take those deaths out. Then increase the denominator to 1.95 million total infections. Calculate the actual CFR or case fatality rate you get after that. And then explain with rational reason with those numbers the, the justification for a total lockdown and destruction of our economy. Again, I'm listening. Final, final note. The fact that if I right now read this as a video on YouTube and simply gave public numbers and asked for quest asked questions about them, it would be taken down should send a shiver up your spine. If it does not, if you are okay with silencing skeptics and those who ask questions, you are indeed infected with something far more dangerous than COVID. And I really believe that. I think if you think it's okay to shut people down, and I'm going to talk more about shutting people down and how dangerous that is, and how it, it's not only dangerous to set as a precedent that it's okay to do, to condition people that it's okay to do, but the pressure cooker you're setting up when you're doing it, the danger of the blowback when, when people can't be heard, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Now look, the numbers I gave you are valid. And that was a week ago, and with the way this thing spreads, um, there is no doubt that right now more than 2 million people in the city, not the state, the city of New York, have been infected with the virus. Only around 340,000, 350,000 have actually had enough symptoms to find them and say, here's a person with it. And of that, a very small number have died. And again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a second, but the governor of New York sent people with COVID back to elder care facilities. And that's accounted for half of the death rate. So to get the mathematics behind how many people actually die of COVID per infection, if you want to use New York City as a model, you have to start out with two, about 2 million infections. You have to take the number of deaths and cut them in half because they never had to occur. And when you do that, you get a number that's under a half of a percent. And New York City is still higher than any place else where you do the actual math and figure that out. It's not 2.5%, it's not 3%, it's not 7%, it's not 8%, it's not 1%. It's less than 1%, and it's less than 1% everywhere. And then we add to it the purposeful manipulation to not use valid therapies, in spite of so much attempt to do so. In spite of so much feedback from other countries where they don't do our bullshit saying, hey, guys, that hydroxychloroquine stuff, it works. So let's, let's think about this. First of all, we've had one, one study that actually seemed to indicate that hydroxychloroquine had no real effect on the outcome of COVID patients. In fact, even though it was statistically insignificant, the media ran with the fact that indeed more people in the chloroquine group died than people not in the chloroquine group. Okay? Well, let's think about when this came out, that hydroxychloroquine was effective. The, the way that the doctors actually using it said that it was supposed to be used. What you do is you get a patient who has symptoms, so they get tested. And as soon as you have a positive result, especially if they, because at the time, chloroquine was in limited supply. Now we can get as much of it as we want as long as we don't lie to doctors and tell them they're not supposed to use it. There's plenty of it. They're making millions of doses a day now. 
It's, there's, there's an abundance of chloroquine in the world. We can't say there's not any. But at the time, since there was a lack of, of how much was available, if the person was in a risk group and symptomatic, you take them, you put them on a regimen of chloroquine for between 5 and 10 days. The dosage that you give them was an initial loading dose and then a maintenance dose. That dose is identical to the same dose that many people take for rheumatoid arthritis and for lupus for their entire life. Same number of milligrams a day. We have people that have been on this medication for 30 years for lupus, which is an immuno, an overactive immune system. Right? These people have immune system problems, and they don't die from it. So it's not dangerous compared to any other medication. Like All medications have side effects. So that's what the doctor said to do, and they said, listen, one of the reasons this works is because we know coronaviruses are RNA-replicating viruses, and that means that they go into your cells and they hijack your, DNA, your RNA, and they use your own RNA, and instead of your RNA being used to make new DNA for your, your body, they use it to make new viruses. And we know that zinc inhibits the replication of RNA viruses. We know this. We know this. This is not anything theoretical. We have laboratory results. There's never been a coronavirus. There's never been an RNA replicating virus that doesn't work this way. That's how they all work. That's what they do. That's what makes them an RNA replicating virus. And we also know scientifically that if there's zinc inside your cells, that it shuts down viral replication. At least if nothing else, it impedes it. We know there is no way this doesn't work. This is also old science, very old science. So when you give the patient hydroxychloroquine, you need to give it with supplemental zinc. And the reason that you need to do that is in addition to other things hydroxychloroquine does that may help a patient with COVID, it is the most powerful ionophore for zinc that we know of. It is the best thing there is to make zinc go inside the cell. Because you can take an ass load of zinc, but you get very little increase in the, the amount of zinc in your cells. So the doctors using it were very clear. And many were also using zithromycin, a.k.a. a Z-pack, to prevent or treat secondary infection. But everybody using it that was saying it works said, early on, before hospitalization, orally, in this quantity, with zinc. Not a single one of these so-called studies has been done that way that I'm aware of. If you could show me one, please show it to me. I want to see it. Instead, the majority of these studies were done by patients that were already hospitalized, where you already start out with a 15% death rate. You already start out with a 15%. The minute you have to be hospitalized for this, you're already at a death rate of around 15%. In many instances, patients were not put on this until they felt there's nothing else that can be done. At this point, the virus is less the problem, and all the overactive things in the body are now the problem. You can clear the virus, and, and doctors have said we have, we have tested people who are still on respirators, who no longer have active virus in their system, and they still die. So this drug impedes the replication of the virus. But let's wait till the virus is completely blown up in quantity, crush the pills up, because we don't even give this shit by IV, and shove it down their feeding tube and say, oh, it didn't work. On patients that were on death's door before we administered it, when the doctor saying to use it said to use it far earlier, five to ten days earlier, and let's eliminate the use of zinc along with it. And then say it doesn't work. 
Now, if anybody wants to use logic and reason to explain that away, I'm also willing, I'm willing to listen. But when you have doctors, not just in the United States, but all over the world saying, this is the way you use this, and every study that you do doesn't do that, I'm sorry, it's almost like you're rigging it to fail. Now let's talk about Rendezivir for a second, okay? Because I actually think Rendezivir is getting a bad rap for a good reason. Rendezivir costs about $1,000 a dose. Hydroxychloroquine costs about 50 cents. But Rendezivir seems to be the right medication to use if you didn't have the brains to use hydroxychloroquine when you should have, or if you did and the patient progressed in the illness anyway. Because it may not work for everybody. I never said it works for everybody. I said it works. Drugs that they sell you on TV every day are drugs that work for 50% of the people. If they can prove it works for 50% of the people 50% of the time, it's good enough to get a patent on it and sell it to you for $1,000 a month for your pills. If you have a 50% chance, it won't work. Hydroxychloroquine seems to have a much higher hit rate than that. Much longer track record of safe use. But it still may not work for everybody. We don't know how your immune system is going to respond or possibly over-respond, go in a cytokine storm, etc. Rendezivir appears, appears, based on the studies they've done, to reduce the time it takes for a patient who's going to recover to recover. They're on the ventilator for less time. This does less damage to their body because being on a ventilator hurts you. It hurts your body to be on a ventilator. This is a valid treatment. It's a very expensive treatment, but once you're on a ventilator, that ship is sailed anyway. But that drug is for that stage of the illness. And possibly they're saying, huh, maybe we should be using it earlier too, like the second the person checks into the hospital. So if we were using those two therapies, so what we're doing, we're using rendezivir to help people on the edge of or already on a ventilator to reduce how long they're on a ventilator if they don't die. By the way, the fatality rate, patients on remdesivir, patients not on remdesivir, the same. It did not decrease the fatality rate. It decreased the time on the ventilator for those who recovered by 35%. That's a home run. Doctors all over the world say if you use hydroxychloroquine this way, it works like 99% of the time, in my anecdotal evidence anyway. Cut that in half and you still should be using it. Don't you start to see where there's a problem here? And see, the problem ends up being a perfectly valid therapy that has a valid use, like remdesivir, ends up in the minds of many being nothing but a scam because you don't listen to both sides. I also want to talk about Tony Fauci. The more I learn about this man, the more I despise him. The more I think he doesn't only not belong heading up our infectious disease uh, side of our government, the more I think he belongs in a prison cell. And I'm not kidding. And I'll leave it to you to examine some of the resources I put in the notes today for you and make that determination for yourself. I want to talk about the deep state. And I don't mean the crazy, lunatic way that people talk about the deep state. Everything's the deep state. The deep state is a thing. You do not have to be even that intelligent. You only have to be open-minded to see the blatancy of the deep state. T Tony Fauci is a... It could be the poster boy for the deep state. Tony Fauci was in a pos in pretty much the same position he is today, which is an extremely powerful position with extensive control over 
billions of dollars annually. Okay? In 1981, with President Ronald Reagan, Tony Fauci had about the same amount of power that he does today. Tony Fauci served under Reagan, Bush the first, Bill Clinton, Bush the second, Obama, and now Trump, with that much power. Tony Fauci is not a cabinet member. He was never approved by the United States Senate. He was never elected, and he has virtually no oversight. He's a bureaucrat. He's a bureaucrat, and people came in and they voted for change. When we got tired of the Republicans and, and what Reagan and Bush did, they put Bill Clinton in. And Tony Fauci, with the power to control billions of dollars and the health policy of the United States of America, didn't change. When Americans got tired of Bill Clinton and decided to give it to Bush the Younger for change, Tony Fauci didn't change. After eight years of George Bush, when hope and change came with Obama, and people voted for that, and the cabinet changed, judges changed, all types of things changed, Tony Fauci remained in control of this nation's health policy, specifically to infectious disease, and in control of hundreds of billions of dollars a year, still having never been approved by anybody, and no real oversight. And then, when people were tired of Obama, and voted for Trump, which is about as radical a change as this has been made in my lifetime, Tony Fauci is still there. Now, there's a lot of shit that that son of a bitch has done. Like, I'm going to give you a video you can watch today, of a woman, he stole her research, sat on it for two years, and because of that, there were millions of people that died of the HIV AIDS that did not have to. Those deaths are, I don't mean sort of, I mean they like directly on his hands. That blood is on his hands. That's why I say he belongs in a prison cell. And there's other things he's done wrong. And when I pointed this out on Facebook today, somebody said, I was fine with it till the end because the reason Fauci has to go is because of these bad things he did. Let's say he hadn't done any of them. It's still the deep state. And how many positions like that are there? And some of you, like, you've cared about this type of thing. You cared about infectious diseases. You, you cared about U.S. health problems. There are people who, you know, if you ask them five years ago, who is Anthony Fauci? They knew the answer to that. 95% or more of Americans, I imagine, if you would have asked them, and I'm talking not just stupid people, informed people, if you would have asked them in August of, of, of 2019, who is Anthony Fauci? They would have said, I don't know, does he make pasta? They would have had no idea who Anthony Fauci was. So let me ask you a question. How many more Anthony Fauci's are there? In how many more places of the American economy and American policy that have been there for 30 years, 40 years, or 50 years. And what do we say it is? Well, they're bipartisan, or they're nonpartisan. No. They are pro-system. You're talking about a guy that can literally dole out billions of dollars. You're talking about a guy that signed off on sending over $3 million to the, the Wuhan lab where this most likely did come from at this point. There's evidence now that maybe we started it and the Chinese finished it. I'll let you look at that for yourself because I'm not sure on that yet. But there's a very compelling case made to that. Again, i got to do some more research before I believe this. But the woman telling the story worked for this scumbag. 
And I just, there's nothing about what she said that makes me look, she's either crazy, and she doesn't seem crazy, but she's either crazy and believes what she's saying. She snapped because of what they did to her. And so it's wrong, but she believes it. Or she's telling the truth. And if she's telling the truth, it's scary as shit. And if she went nuts and snapped, it's still scary as shit because of what they did to her to cause her to snap. I'm not sure which one it is. I'm leaning towards she's telling the truth. She says one of her jobs was to teach Ebola as a virus how to infect humans. Now that should scare the shit out of you. But when we look at what's going on today, it looks like Fauci, what he actually did was they were doing research where they were taking these viruses, like coronaviruses, and they were making them more lethal and more infectious to see what would happen. Not to unleash as a bioweapon. We've got to figure this out. And scientists and doctors that were involved with this says, no good can come from this. You can't keep screwing with this shit. Sooner or later, it's going to get out of somebody's shirt or something. And one of these superbugs we're making is going to get out. So a moratorium was placed and said, you cannot do this shit anymore. And all of a sudden, almost $4 million goes to the Wuhan laboratory and they continue that research. It seems like that happened. Now, I'm going to say this. Two things can be true. It could be the case that the COVID-19 virus came from a bat in southern China that somehow got in, naturally mutated and got into people. That can be true, and everything I said about Fauci can be true. It's more likely that the lab in Wuhan was screwing around with either bats and their viruses or some version of that we effed with first, and somebody screwed up, and it got out. And that's where this came from. That's more. It's not factual. There's no smoking gun for that. But there's, it's more likely. It's also possible that we had nothing directly to do with it, that China was screwing around with bats, and it got out. All three of those are possibilities. And I would say China doing it alone, and it got out, and we were involved, and it got out, are more likely than it naturally happened outside of a lab. That doesn't mean that necessarily it was engineered, but if you start tinkering with shit, and that's what it was. Let's see what happens. And we, the fact that, let me tell you something else too. Here is a fact. There was a moratorium, meaning a cease and desist order, placed on U.S. facilities doing this type of research, specifically at Fort Detrick, Maryland. That is a fact. Okay, remember I said think opinion in fact? That happened. That moratorium was placed. Okay. You don't put a moratorium on something unless it's happening first. When you see a sign, you pull up to a place, and you see a sign that says, do not play on or around gate. You know what happened. People were playing on or around the gate, so they had to put up a sign. That's why the sign's there. When you put up a, a moratorium, an official act of the United States government, said, thou shall not screw with coronaviruses and give them added capabilities to see what will happen any longer, that means that's what that was doing before this moratorium. And for that to happen, and for it to immediately end up that a bunch of money goes to Wuhan, and Wuhan takes up that very type of research, is highly suspect. Moving on. The Swedish model. I've heard so much autistic-level screeching about this. That's me! There's so many people dying in Sweden! First of all, you don't even know what that means. You have no idea what the numbers are. You just believe what the TV or some article told you. 
The death rate in Sweden per capita is higher than the United States. It's not that significantly higher than the United States as a whole. It's I mean, it's to the point where maybe another 10,000 uh, Americans would be dead today if you believe the numbers in the first place in Sweden and here. Maybe. At the most, the outside, maybe 12,000. When we talk about the numbers, we're talking about the United States. That's not that many. I hate anybody dying, don't get me wrong, but that's not that many to not destroy the economy and crumble it to the ground and ruin the lives of tens of millions of Americans and destroy our economy in a way we're still not sure how bad it's going to be for how long. Because illnesses happen, people die. That's if you just take it at face value. But the head of the, uh, the Swedish government agency, uh, uh, epidemiologist, that came out with this policy and said to do this policy, said, we did the right policy. We made a mistake. What we did not do is we did not ban entry into elder care facilities. That was a mistake. We should not have made that mistake. Well, if you actually look at Sweden's number of, of deaths, and if you take those deaths, or not even all of them, the majority, let's say you take 80% of those deaths away, you say, hey, we're going to do the same thing if we had a rewind button. Go back in time, and Swedish policy would be exactly what it is with one exception, we do not let people into the elder care facilities and we screen every employee. Again, the same mistake the New York governor made in a different way. If we do that, then you take our death rate and you see that our death rate is significantly lower than the United States' death rate. Even though we didn't lock down and they did. Well, that changes... I'm sorry, you, you can't... Again, that's one of those things... You, you can point to the mistake, and you can say that's a mistake, and they should have never have done that, and they should have known better. And, and I think you're right. I think that, like, I would have done that. I think if I would have been in, in a powerful position in the Swedish government, and you had sold me on not locking down, and then I said, what about the elder care facilities? And you said, well, we're just going to let that... I would, no, no, no. Well, you're not a doctor, Jack. I don't give a shit. Like, this is common sense. We know it hits elderly harder. we got to protect the old people, right? So it's a stupid mistake. But it is a mistake, and when you look at the mistake, you realize that their model is not flawed at all. And it's still working better than it is for most countries in Europe. And all of a sudden, all this bullshit about, well, you know, Norway and Denmark, and saying they're apples-to-apples -apples comparisons to Sweden. Okay, wait, you have countries that are just as big with half the population. And we know population density has a huge effect on this. But even with that, as soon as you back out that one flawed decision and you back those deaths out you put them in their, you don't say they're not, they never happen you put them in their own compartment this stupid see and that's what we have to do if we're going to analyze this and make good decisions we have to admit mistakes and we have to say this is a horrible mistake but we're not going to pretend it's not a mistake and stick it under the table and then just lump all the deaths back together we take them and we put them in their own box their own compartmentalized place these are deaths due to this mistake eliminate this mistake what's it look like it doesn't look much different than, 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 than Norway or Denmark And also those, those Bakersfield doctors that said that, they're dead on. They're not close, they're dead on. But we won't even look at that. You think I'm wrong? Look it up. I have a link for you. I have the head of Swedish Infectious Disease Policy saying, this is our mistake, we should have never done it, and here's what happened because we did. Unlike Como, Como did far worse. Como did far worse in my opinion. In my opinion, Andrew Como should be in a prison cell. 
Now, if you take in the totality of what I'm about to say, you'll see why, even if you don't agree with my opinion, you have to agree that it's a reasonable opinion for a person to have. Remember, an opinion that somebody should go to prison does not equal a person going to prison. A day in court and meaningful prosecution with a robust defense that fails is what puts a person in prison if we do things the right way. A lot of times people go to prison way easier than that on the side of the state, and they're denied a good defense. The state rigs the, the whole thing. But if we do it right, that's what that, I'm saying Como should go before a jury of his peers in a fair trial to determine whether or not he is responsible for the death of these people. Well, here's what he did. When this whole shitstorm started, he put out a policy that said to elder care facilities, thou shalt not, under penalty of law, deny entry into thy facility for a returning uh, resident or a new resident simply because they are suspected of having COVID even if they've been tested positive. In other words, we have a patient, they were in the hospital. They no longer need to be in the hospital. They're recovering. They still have COVID. We want to send them back to, you know, elder care facility B. Elder care facility B must take them back. That's Como's policy. He needs to own that policy. He needs to own up to that policy. When he's been asked about it recently, he's punted. Oh, I really don't know about that. And then has one of his people talk around some bullshit instead of answer it. Typical politician. But th that is important. Because as I was saying earlier, if you take that bad decision away from New York and say, let's do the same thing we do for Sweden, right? It was a stupid decision. Somebody should pay for it. But it was. we do know what the mistake is now. Let's compartmentalize those deaths. They're about half, a little bit more than half. Let's put them all in this box over here of we screwed up, and let's look at the numbers in their absence. Because we could have largely prevented those deaths from occurring. We could have taken every single employee's temperature and not let anybody else in and not brought patients in who we knew were infected. We could have done that. But we didn't. So we can't act like we did and then judge the numbers as though we did that. By the way, New Jersey did that shit too. So we need to, if we're going to be honest about examining the death rate there and what this means to the rest of the country, we need to do that. But we're not. We're not. And that's a sick thing. You're having people's lives destroyed based on numbers that are wrong. And then we also need to do what? We need to look at all the asymptomatic cases. So now instead of looking at 300 to 400,000 cases, you're looking at 2 million cases and half the deaths. And everything looks totally different then. Everything looks totally different then. Moving on, I want to tell you one more time my formula for potentially, I, I, again, I'm not a doctor, I don't play, play one on TV, but I think the best thing that you can do for yourself as a healthy individual to either avoid this illness or to deal with it far better if you should unfortunately become infected with it is a formula that I've come up with based on science and I've had reviewed by scientists and doctors and everybody who has taken it and methodically reviewed it and looked at my research and my reasoning has said that should work And if you do it that way, it can't hurt you. That formula is a combination of Q-certain, green tea, and zinc. And the reason that I think it is the best thing you can do for yourself is because Q-certain and green tea are also, like hydroxychloroquine, 
They are ionophores for zinc. They help get zinc into your cell. That is not a maybe. That is not a maybe. We also know that when you have zinc in your cells, your cells are better able to shut down RNA virus replication. We also know that. A infectious disease doctor that's a father of a member of this audience reviewed my data on that, and his decision at the end of reviewing my data was to buy those three things for his family. I have links to where you can find them on Amazon. People ask me what brand. I'm going to tell you this. Unless it's really some shitty crap, these are not things that you really need to be hugely concerned with things like absorbability. Okay? Qcertin is Qcertin. There's not a proprietary formula. There's not some chelated version or whatever. Green tea is green tea. Okay? And it is a specific component of the green tea that acts as an ionophore. I don't actually believe you need both, but I don't know which one is better, and none of the research that I have done that actually confirms cellular uptake of zinc in the presence of either was done in isolation. In other words, there's no studies where they used Qcertin or green tea. The studies I can find, they used Qcertin and green tea. Since that's what the studies say, I hedge my bet, and that's what I do. I also have a doctor out of Montreal, Canada, who did work on the original SARS outbreak that said Qcertin worked for that. He said nothing about zinc, but if there's zinc present in the body, an ionophore makes the zinc go into the cells. That's what led me down the entire path to Qcertin anyway. I also take Qcertin and some supplemental zinc in my multi every day anyway because my doctor already had me on it. Um, I think it's the best prevention and mitigation tool that's available over the counter. I also am a big fan of B12, selenium, D, E vitamins, good multi, period. Um, I've heard, listened to more than one doctor say that selenium is like a birth control pill for RNA viruses. Now just understand, birth control pills are not 100% effective and viruses replicate like crazy. So they could be true and they could still have, they could mean, not mean you're going to be cured or full prevention, but whatever slows down the replication of the virus gives your immune system more time to deal with it before it goes into a hyperactive response to an, an overload. All right. So again, I'm not saying this treats or cures COVID. I'm not saying it prevents COVID. I'm saying the research I've done has made me choose to use it for myself, and doctors have looked at it and endorsed it. And I don't sell it. I don't have any products with my name on it. I do refer people as an affiliate, but I don't care where you get it from. And I've told people, like, well, I can get it at Eckerd Drugs or whatever. I found it at Walmart. Then get it there. And specifically at this point, you get what you can when it comes to the Q-certain and zinc because it's in limited supply. As far as zinc, I'll let you do your own research. There's different forms of zinc that have different levels of availability. But I think that data is out there if you really want to drill down and you can find different versions of it. But I take just a, a good absorbable zinc, green tea, and Qcertin. On that, before I go, I have to say this. Do not exceed recommended dosage of these things. You can overdose on all of them if you take enough. Specifically, green tea can really be dangerous, and it can put it has caffeine too. That can like jittery to the to the uptick, right? So look up the recommended minimum dose or maximum dosages. Do not exceed them. And I won't even tell you what I take because then I'm giving you a prescription, and I can't do that legally. I don't want to go to Club Fed. Okay, so I'm not saying this works. I'm saying that I think it works for me, and doctors looked at it and said I think it works enough that I'm taking it too. Okay. And if you think about it, 
it has, at least in one component, the same effect that hydroxychloroquine does with none of the risks. All right. Next, um, I, I just want to talk real quick about how I have a huge problem with silencing people on social media, um, even lunatics. Like, I keep hearing, people keep sending me the stuff about David Icke. Let me say some shit about David Icke. And this is why I'm using him as a poster boy for this. I think David Icke says some really interesting things and some really accurate things. And I think David Icke is a smart person. I also think David Icke is certifiably insane because David Icke believes, literally believes, that the elite, the Illuminati, are made up of people who are shape-shifting reptilians from outer effing space. That's who the, the shape-shifting reptilian aliens are running the world. Now, I've been told, Jack, I've, I have one friend of mine, good friend, Curtis Stone, you know him. He said, man, I've, I've shared some beers with you and some other things, and I've heard you say some really crazy shit, and I know I've said some really crazy shit, and that doesn't invalidate the rest of what we say. Totally agree. And if David Icke, if somebody produced a video of David Icke stoned out of his gourd saying this shit, it would not invalidate his work for me. It would not. When the man wrote a book <laughs> that began his entire career that was predicated on this concept and that everything he does stems from this belief that reptilian freaking alien shapeshifters run the world, and it's not a metaphor. He's serious. I've read the book. And has never retracted it. Has never been like, you know, man, back like in the 90s, I was like freaking on LSD and shit. And I said some really crazy shit. And I retract that. Oh, okay. Maybe now I can listen to you. The fact there's never been anything approaching a retraction of that. The fact that if he's asked about, well, yeah. Okay, then no, I'm sorry. You're nuts. But the fact that YouTube takes his videos down, I find that incredibly disturbing. Now, as a libertarian. As an anarchist, I believe a private company is entitled to do anything they want with their platform. But it doesn't make it right. And there's, there's a big difference between, let's say, if somebody says some crazy shit on my blog, and I'm just tired of it, and I feel like all they're doing is badgering me and trolling me, and I shut them down, I'm Jack Spirico's blog. I'm TSP. I am not something used by billions of people across the world that, that, that markets myself as a tool for you to use for your voice. I market myself as one man's opinion, and you get to participate if you follow my rules. YouTube marks itself as YouTube, the place for you to get information. And when somebody puts up a video that simply asks a question, and they take it down, instead of like saying, hey, you know what, this is a answer it repudiate it. And this starts to happen to Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I have a big problem with it, and I don't think you should do it to David Icke either. And that's why I explain to you why I think he's effing crazy. But even though I think he's effing crazy, he has a right to be heard. And if you want to counter what he has to say, then do it with facts, logic, and reason. You don't do it by saying you're not allowed to speak. And I, I, I really think you should listen to a video by a doctor, a female doctor, who used to work for Tony Fauci. I've mentioned this before, but basically he stole her research. He was able. It, this is the thing that you need to understand. Tony Fauci holds patents on medical technologies and medications. 
to make them. And he enriches himself from these patents. There's something called the Bayh-Dole Act. And what this did is it allowed government officials and universities using public money the ability to hold patents. So you and I get taxed, our money gets used for research, and instead of those patents being public domain patents, which is what they used to be, an individual or an organization can now own that patent. Well, the reason he stole her research is it enabled that for him on a, a specific patent. He published the research, her exact research, added to, under a different doctor's name, and was able to use it to obtain patents. And there's a whole lot more to it. I encourage you to listen to this lady's video. I'll have it in the Daily Mail today, and there's a link in the show notes. 25 minutes. Again, I don't agree with everything, but, man, I agree with a lot, and I believe that this lady is telling the truth. You can tell the truth and be wrong. I believe if we put this woman on a polygraph, she would easily pass. And I'll leave it at that. Please watch this video for yourself. Uh, next. You know, I'm going to tell you something right now that's going to sound like conspiracy theory, and it's not. This is a valid reported story. Story. I have seen no contradictory evidence to it. If there is, please send it to me. I want to know I'm wrong, and I'll come back and I'll go, dun-dun-dun, Jack was wrong. This didn't happen. But sure looks like it happened. Um, the head of Tanzania, knowing that African nations have a uh, long history of uh, being manipulated and taken advantage of uh, by the Western world, was really worried about all these coronavirus test kits that were being sent to him. And um, he uh, decided there'd be a way to figure that out. So he had some of his folks use those tests on things that weren't exactly human and then send the kits into the laboratories in his own country, and then the laboratories came back and said, these are positive or negative tests. He had the tests used on goats and pawpaws. What's a pawpaw? Pawpaw, for those that don't listen to permaculture shows, is a fruit. Fruit, very popular in the northeastern United States. It's a wild native fruit. Um, it kind of tastes like banana custard. Well, the banana custard fruit... <laughs> And okay, so it's 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 Africa. So I realize now, a pawpaw in in Tanzania might be a papaya. So it was either the pawpaw of the United States or the pawpaw of the papaya. One of those. I didn't really read much further than that. It could be either or. But some fruit tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah, um, I'm going to say those test kits are not reliable. So how many other test kits are not reliable? I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that we we have a problem, and we need to be like. And I, I imagine if I did a YouTube video about that, they they'd probably take it down instead of like prove that I'm wrong, show me that I'm wrong. I see. I'm open to being wrong about anything, but you, you can't just yell and scream and screech and say the TV said so or all the doctors say because all the doctors say is a lie. Because I have lots of doctors saying those doctors are wrong. You can't invoke the authority. Well, they're doctors, but then you deny the authority of other doctors. That's how science works. You have reasonable, rational, logical, public, vigorous debate, or it's not science. 
It's not science. And nothing that they're doing now approaches science. Telling everybody who doesn't agree with you to shut up and screaming they want old people to die is not science. It's propaganda. And this is a problem. This is all really becoming very, very dangerous. And it's becoming dangerous because of the type of tactics that I've been talking about, but it's also becoming dangerous just in that, look, let's say the virus is as deadly as they say that it is. There's still a point where if you don't want worse consequences than the virus, you just say, hey, here's the best we can do to protect ourselves, and we have to open up our economies. And I said economies, not just our economy, the United States, but around the world. We have to. Because what we're going to end up with is a global freaking famine is what we're going to end up with. And it's not going to be a famine in the United States. It's going to be a famine in the developing world, and it's going to kill millions of people. We're going to have a lot of death and suicide and violence, though, in the United States as well. And we will have food shortages. I don't think that anybody in the United States will literally starve because of a food shortage. But we're going to have supply chain disruptions and shortages. We're in the middle of a meat one right now. I, I believe that it will ebb out fairly quickly. But it could, it could stick around for a while. I'm not really sure. But in the developing world. And then people don't understand how much of the world actually depends on the U.S. economy and U.S. agricultural output. But it's, it's a massive amount of the world we feed. Well, if we're hungry, we're going to feed ourselves first. I promise you that. We are. And that means other people are going to starve. Because there are places in the world where in the best of times... People go hungry not for lack of money, but for direct lack of food. You put a 2%, 2% reduction in output. And this year was already supposed to be bad for famine around the world. See, people starve all the time. We don't know about it. You can basically double that number. Link in the show notes. Okay, I, I really believe one of the other things that we're seeing here, I've talked about walking to freedom for years. I, I mentioned it recently, something you might want to look harder at. I think it actually might soon become an imperative. It might soon become an imperative in the United States. There are parts of this country that have now clearly shown that the people that run the show and the sheep that keep putting them in office are not going to change, not going to get rid of them. What they will do, given the opportunity. I'm looking at you, Michigan. I'm looking at you, California. I'm looking at you, Washington State. And there's others. Illinois. That place is going to go bankrupt anyway. I don't care how big a bailout they get out of this. They're go Illinois is going to go bankrupt. Illinois was always going to go bankrupt. What I say about rotting fruit on the tree and the windstorm comes? You see all the fruit fall? Look what the windstorm did. Now the windstorm showed you all your rotted fruit. And, and Illinois is about to be splat. So there's more than one reason. But these states are run by totalitarians in a way that was never... See, that's the thing. What I said was this whole thing about, you know, when people say something like a pandemic brings out the worst in people. No, it doesn't. It shows you who they really are. And that applies to politicians and bureaucrats as well. It shows you who they already were. Brings out the best or the worst. No, it shows you who they were. So really good people, these type of trying things show you who they are. Really bad people? Shows you what was always there. In some ways, if we make David Icke's reptilians, shapeshifters, a metaphor instead of like an actual claim, it reveals what lies underneath. It reveals who these people are. 
And what Como has shown is he has no problem wrecking the entire state's economy, even though upstate New York looks nothing like New York City. He has no problem ordering sick people into a nursing home, knowing what he's doing, and then denying it after the fact. And most of these politicians have demonstrated they have no problem having one set of rules for you and ignoring them for themselves. They're getting Botox. They're getting uh, plastic surgery. They're getting haircuts. Nancy Pelosi standing in front of a $20,000 freezer eating gourmet ice cream, telling you she's in it with you? See, they're so, dis they're so disconnected by the fact that what they say about you does not apply to them. They don't even hide it anymore. Como comes out yesterday. You know what Como said yesterday? I'll see if I can get this link in there for you, too. You can find it if you want to find it. It's shocking that the majority of cases of new cases of COVID in New York City are people that stayed home. He finds it shocking. I don't find it shocking. I'm the one that's been saying these lockdowns are not preventing the spread of the virus. If that's true, then I don't find it shocking that people that stayed home got the virus. And this includes people that, like, you know, it's not like they stayed home, but they went to Walmart. This includes people who just basically never left their home. Everything was brought in. They still got the virus. Well, if that's the case, then what is the point of these lockdowns? Wouldn't it be better to really protect the best we can, the most vulnerable, And let anybody else who wants to go back to work. And again, we can do social distancing. We can do the Swedish model. Which we now know, if you take away this mistake, works pretty good. Unlike Como, they're willing to admit their mistake. I wish more people were. But I also want to talk about how, like I've always said, the most tyranny comes from the most local of governments. There's two examples of that in Texas. In Texas. And I'm still proud of Texas. And when I tell you why, you'll, you'll understand if you haven't found out already. Number one, the Hector County Sheriff's Department came up with a problem. There were a group of men that went to a bar to protest. The bar opened and said, I'm going to go, go bankrupt if I don't open my bar. This is in uh, Hector County, Texas, which has a total, not of active, total since this began, 83 cases of COVID. 83. Keep that in mind. This is important. This is this is uh, west of Mo uh, uh, Midland, Odessa, which is like the armpit of Texas to begin with. Sorry if you live there, but you know I'm telling the truth. It's an armpit. Um, they open this bar, so the sheriff's department decides we're going to shut this shit down. It's the, 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 the sheriff said it's the law of the land. It, it, friggin' guy reminds me of Buford T. Justice without the comedy. That's from Smoking a Bandit for you young kids. They go in and shut it down. Okay, I can understand. What they do is they send a team of armed officers with, like, plate carriers and body armor and a freaking MRAP armored vehicle. And they go in with guns up to shut down a peaceful protest of people hanging out and going to a bar. And they arrest people. As much as I don't want those people arrested... If the sheriff said, hey, i got to enforce the law, and they sent some guys in and said, hey, you guys need to disperse, and they said, fuck, you know, we're not leaving. And the deputy said, hey, look, guys, if you don't leave, we're going to apprehend you. I, I would be upset, but I wouldn't be angry with that. I, well, you know, that's the risk you take when you protest. But to act like you were tactically assaulting, you know, some sort of fortified compound, 
And these officers, there's some pictures of these officers. These guys are going to fall over and die from coronary artery disease uh, and type 2 diabetes and kidney failure, let alone COVID. These guys are fat for fat. Like when I was fat, these guys are like, I was fat, and then they were fat, and then they ate me like a snake and became fatter. That's how fat these guys are. Like the, 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 their plate carry, the one guy said their plate carry ain't protecting nothing. They need like four of them. I mean, come on. Like, so these slobs go in with guns hot, right, to arrest people for going to a bar with, it, with an armored vehicle. I'm going to say this. If you live in Hector County, the sheriff is an elected official, and there is a recall procedure. And if you don't take part in a recall procedure of that sheriff, you deserve that sheriff. Next up, better story because a better ending. But we need to support this woman. There was a barber, a uh, salon owner in Dallas, and I've talked about her before, uh, Luther, like something Luther, I can't remember her last name, or her first name, but uh, Shelly Luther, I think her name is. So she, she announced, I'm opening my salon. And I believe she's doing this coordinated with lawyers, and she wanted the heat that came with it. She's fighting back. So she opened her salon and said, I'm, I'm going to go broke. My stylists are going to go broke. She put in very... Very thought, well thought out protections for her customers. Um, I won't go into it, but I mean, it's actually the state is now allowing salons and barbershops to open, and the state's restrictions look almost identical to hers. Like it's almost like they said, you know what? She's got this. This is what we should do. So she had this going. Uh, the Dallas PD came in and said they were going to arrest her. She said, go ahead. So they cited her and they left. They came back the next day. They said, we're going to arrest you. She said, go ahead. They cited her and they left. This went on for about a week. They find her every day. So then they issued a court order that said, you better close. She said, no. So then they charged her, not with opening, but with failure to, to, to comply with a court order. They brought her into the court, arrested her, stood in front of the judge. The judge says, I'll let you go with a fine if you apologize. If you don't apologize, you're going to jail for seven days. She said, I'm not apologizing. He sent her to jail. First of all, I do not think a judge should be able to do that. Basically, he wanted her to apologize not to the city, to him, for, for, for violating his order. You apologize and grovel to me, I'll let you go. No, okay, I'm going to throw you in prison. So he throws her in jail for, for seven days. I said this had a happier ending. Well, as far as I know, she's either been released or soon will be. The Texas Supreme Court said, uh-uh, no. And it was done heavily, I guarantee you, heavily at the uh, the prodding of the Texas governor, the Texas lieutenant governor, and the Texas attorney general. I have links to all of these gentlemen speaking out saying, uh-uh, no, you can't do this shit. Um, I think the governor could have went to the board and pardoned her immediately. It, I just learned this. I didn't know this. In the state of Texas, the governor can pardon anybody, but there's a board that determines whether the, the person is available uh, is eligible for the pardon first. That board is appointed by the governor himself and then approved by the legislature. Um, since it, they were appointees, I have a hard time believing that if he said, hey, boys, I want to pardon this gal for something this low level, they would have probably rubber-stamped it. But I think the key is she didn't want that. For that, I, I, I initially said, like, like if, if Abbott really is our governor, if he really means this, he should have initiated the process already. Governor doesn't initiate the process. 
the person who has been charged has to initiate the process. They have to request it. I don't think she wanted a pardon. She didn't want it to go away. She wants to fight it. She has a lawyer. I think this was, the whole thing looks like it was set up along with a, a PR firm. This is out of the Rosa Parks playlist, which, by the way, the playbook, some, some social justice type got all upset with me for saying that yesterday on social media. You're an idiot. I'm not saying there's a moral equivalency. If there is, there is. If there isn't, there isn't. It's irrelevant to my point. My point about Rosa Parks was Rosa Parks was not the first black woman, a black person, who said, I'm not sitting in the back of the bus. That was not who Rosa Parks was. Rosa Parks was the first black woman that got with coordinated attorneys and said, you want me to move, you're going to have to move me. You want to charge me, you're going to have to charge me. No, I will not plead guilty, and no, I will not promise not to do it again. No, 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 no. This is wrong. If you want to try me, let's go. And be re when she did it, she didn't go half-cocked, all pissed off one day, got everything set up in advance and said, I'm going to go do this shit this way. And I'm going to make you face this obviously unconstitutional law in court. We're going to have our day. I will take the hit. I will go forth and be that person. That's what this woman's doing. She has a GoFundMe. There's over a quarter million dollars in it. And even though she's out of jail, this isn't over because they're continuing to fine her. I put some money in it. I'm going to suggest you do as well. Um, we need this. And I think we're getting really close to the point. I've talked about this a lot in the past. One of my favorite scenes. In fact, I have a movie that has two of my favorite scenes ever in it. And it's Tombstone. One is the, the one with Doc Holliday and the, and the rest of uh, Wyatt's gang and Wyatt's gone. And they ask him, you know, why are you here? Because he's sick. He's dying. He's out fighting in this, this little war. Risking his life. And he says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. And the one guy says, hell, Doc, I got lots of friends. And Doc says, I don't. I, I don't think there's ever been a movie where instantly I more identified with the character in that movie than that moment with that movie. And I was like, that sums up everything about a person that I actually call my friend. That I mean it the way he meant it there. I don't mean somebody I know. I don't even mean somebody I like you. I mean somebody you're genuinely my friend. I don't have a lot of friends. Because then it doesn't mean anything to have a friend. That's not the scene, though. There's another one. It's right after the shootout at the OK Corral. These guys are bleeding. Wyatt helps his brother up. Doc's standing there. Sheriff Behan comes out and says, You're all under arrest. Wyatt looks right at him and says, I don't think I'll let you arrest us today, Behan. And Behan does not arrest them. Now, I know it's a movie. But this is what's happening all over the country right now. We saw one guy went in the ocean to go surfing. And what did they do? They arrested him. Because if when, he, when, you know, when they get a hold of him, if he says, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest you, uh, me today, they're going to tase him, club his ass, and take him to jail. But when 400 people went surfing... They're saying, by their very action, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today. Now, I do think some of the protesters have not been reasonable about things like social distancing. I do think it makes sense to kind of spread out a little bit. 
I think that is probably helpful. It may not be perfect, but it's probably helpful. The whole mask thing, I'm not going to get into it today, but the whole mask thing is just, it's virtue signaling. A healthy person wearing a mask is about as stupid as it gets. It really is. Especially, a, you know, a bandana or a freaking surgical mask. or whatever. It's just freaking nonsense. It's stupid. So I don't care about that. But, you know, spread out a little bit. If nothing else, because you're making a protest, you're, you're making a public spectacle, then be smart about how you do it. But I think it is time for more and more. I don't think you're going to arrest us today. I don't think you're going to arrest us today. Because let me tell you something. That bar, if there were like a thousand people, of course there would be nobody left in Midland. If there was like a thousand people there, that shit wouldn't have went down the way it did. That went down because it was a small group of people and they felt they could go in like thugs and attack them. But understand something. My call is not for quote-unquote business as usual. It's rather a call for reasonable precautions. Protect the most vulnerable. Reduce common sense social distancing. Reduce headcount inside buildings. The number one place that people get sick and this virus is transmitted is in close personal contact indoors. Get people outside and spread out, and you're going to have a lot less of it. And all you have to do, again, is look at something like Dallas-Fort Worth, 7.2 million people. And less than 5,000 cases. New York City, 8.6 million people, 400,000 cases. There's not that big of a difference in population. But the density. New York City has 8.6 million people on 300 square miles. Dallas-Fort Worth has 7 million people in something like 9,000 some hundred square miles. So if we spread people out, that does slow the spread. That's reasonable to do. One of the things I saw them doing in Florida, I think this is brilliant. What they're doing is they're saying, okay, we have restaurants here. What we're going to do is we're going to close off this street or this half of the street, make this street into a one-way street, we'll close off this piece of a parking lot, and let them put tables outside and start doing outside service. That way they can have more people, but they can spread them out. We can do this. I, I, I guarantee you it's, it's places like you know New York or whatever. And I, I, I understand the challenges in Manhattan with something like that. I get it, okay? But it's, it's places like New York where the challenges don't exist that the, the government will create the challenges. There's so much right now that we could be doing to make things safer that it's regulations themselves that get in the way. There was a, a, a story out today, and it confused some people. Department of Justice clears hurdles for the use of hydroxychloroquine. DOJ? Why DOJ? Because it wasn't, it wasn't regulations, it was legalities that were destroying the ability to effectively distribute this medication. Why does that exist in the first place? This is supposedly, by the way, after we've proven it doesn't work, supposedly because Orange Man bad. But an emergency... Uh, measure was made to remove these hurdles to make the distribution possible because we know it actually works. So, again, I'm not calling for business as usual. The Bakersfield doctors are not calling for business as usual. Most people that are saying this is lunacy and we have to stop this shutdown are not calling for everything to go back exactly the way it was in November. What they're saying is let's spread out a little bit but let's understand that there's only so much we can do. And by the way, people that are staying home are getting sick, so you're not doing what you think you're doing. 
let's go make this work. The fact that I can go to Walmart, but I can't go to this little small business over here, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like, none. There's no scientific science behind this. Let's fix this as best we can. Let's watch it as we go. And if we see a place where it becomes a problem, let's deal with that spot instead of treating everybody the same. My caveat with that is, if I had to explain that to you, if you didn't already understand that, you probably don't understand now anyway. There is a group of people that are so latched on to the fear that they can't even process anything other than doing what the TV says. If the TV came out and told them exactly what I told them, they would believe it. But until the TV says it, they can't believe it. And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. This is a very important thing to understand because this is the playbook now for control. It has become the playbook for control. They will never forget how easy you were to control. This fear is real. This fear is real. We have ancient memories in our genetics. I'm not talking about something spiritual here. I'm talking about something real, something biological. We evolved. We evolved with a flight or fight response. We evolved with that. We have memories that go back to the very dawn of man in ourselves. And I don't mean memories in the way that you put a memory in your brain, right? Where you can actually have like a, a direct recall. I remember when we bought that chair. It was in August of 2004 and we had gone out for ice cream. I don't mean like that kind of a memory. I mean an echo memory that has changed the way humans have evolved over time. We learned certain things as species. People that had a predisposition to behave that way were the ones that survived. That kind of a memory. A genetic memory. Okay. In our history, diseases have wiped out massive numbers of people. Things that make this all look like a cakewalk. Bubonic plague. Smallpox. Tuberculosis. Cholera. Typhus, these illnesses that are easily taken care of today. There were times when they came, we didn't even have a name for them. That's some kind of generic name. They didn't even know what it was. They knew it was a disease. They understood some level of transmissibility, but they really didn't know what it was. When we went through one of the black plagues, because there were multiples, there was a time when parents literally stopped being attached to to their children. When we did the history segments, we went through that period of history. And it took about a generation and a half after it went away where parents again began to actually become attached to their children. Because it was so likely that they would die, you didn't want to become attached to them. These genetic memories are inside of us. And something like the invisible enemy, the deadly virus, COVID-19, and they all have the same stupid music on their news trailers. <laughs> it goes right to the primal part of us that has that memory of what that type of disease is. And as soon as you connect any disease to that type of disease, which this is not, this is not something that will roll through and half the town is just gone. But it has echoes of it. 
And it ties into that primal fear. And once that hits, there will be a segment of society that will retreat inside their toilet paper for it, and they will do anything that they're told because of fear. We cannot live that way. The consequences are going to be so much worse than the virus could be if we did nothing, if we keep doing it. And it's both direct and reactive. And I want to finish with the reactive so that you really understand what I'm trying to get at today with we got to change this. I put out a meme recently, and it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a scene from Rambo. And it's a scene from pretty early in the movie where the sheriff, Teasel, uh, played by uh, Brian Dennehy, uh, has his, one of his first confrontations with John Rambo. And he has him up against a car, and he reaches out. It's a very famous scene. And he puts his hand on Stallone character Rambo's arm. And there's a look. And Stallone, man, that guy is a, is a much better actor than he's ever been given credit for. He has a look in his eyes in that scene that is one of the best actor-derived foreshadowings of what's to come in any piece of cinematography ever done. It is that moment, that confrontation, that starts the spiral that is the carnage of the movie First Blood. It is that moment, and it is that movie was made for that moment to be that. If you watch, if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, watch this movie with your kids or something, you know? I, I mean, I, I'm a kid of the 80s. I, it came out, what, in 82? I think I saw it like it, as soon as it was available in a VCR. Because I didn't get to go to movies much back then, right? So it's been like 84. So I'd have been like freaking 12, 11, something like that when I watched it. So it's okay for kids. I think it is. You decide for yourself. But whoever set the cinematography up for that movie, they wanted that scene. They wanted it to be that it gave a mood and a moment that that was when everything went wrong. From that point forward, it was all going to go wrong. Well, I took that picture, and I have I didn't I actually got that picture. Somebody else made the meme. I I, I stole the meme. It's a stolen meme. I didn't make the meme. I put the meme out. And that scene, he's got his hand on Rambo's shoulder, and it says, "Where's your mask, son?" And I, when I saw that, I said, this is the vibe in the air right now. This is the vibe in the air right now. There are people who have been looking for a reason to fight authority, physically, violently, and you're giving them one. And some of them are John Rambos. And I don't mean necessarily some badass Special Forces guy capable of taking on 200 officers. That's not what I mean. That's a movie. What I mean is, there are people like that character that have been through hell and they really just want to be left alone and you're poking them. And I want us to push back. I want us to fight. But not that way. But if we don't take this back, 
If people don't start to see progress in the right direction very soon, that scene is happening right now. Now, the interesting thing about that movie, and that guy was a great actor too, uh, Dennehy. He's a good actor. Played that character well. Was given multiple chances. Multiple times he could have made a different decision. And even if things got bad, they wouldn't have gotten as bad as they did. Right now, that man represents the state. And John Rambo represents the people that were already tired of the state's shit before this started. And that is not a confrontation that we want to happen. And if we don't change it, if we don't give people something to understand, this is this we're going in the right direction. I think as long as people see progress, these states opening up a little at a time, etc., we can make a better decision than was made in that movie. If that doesn't happen, there's a point where you go past, you don't come back without carnage. We're headed right to it. Because <clears throat> it's not that all these people that feel this way <clears throat> want people to die. They're the ones with enough common sense to look at the situation and say, this is going to cost so many more lives and so many more livelihoods and destroy so many more people than this virus ever could by itself. We're doing a self-inflicted wound, and there's people saying, I'm not, I'm not going to participate anymore. These little protests and things that you've seen around the place and people t talking shit about them, you don't even know what you're messing with. You don't understand. You don't understand the danger you're playing with when you don't take these people seriously. I invite you to take a look at that meme. I have a link to it. You don't have to be on Facebook to be able to see it. And if you just web browser, it's public, you click a link, and I want you to look at it. And I want you to think to yourself... When you look at that picture, isn't that what the air feels like right now? And I know some people really want to champion that and really want to cheer that. No. No. If we ever go there, we already live in a system where despite how rigged it is, we can change things without bloodshed. We have to try first, or what we do is not justified. But there are people that feel that they are being pushed into a corner. And when you push an angry animal that just wants to be left alone in a corner, even an animal that you're, you could normally kill easily can really hurt you. And that's where this is headed if we don't make a change. With that, I've wrapped things up and... Uh, I hope you, hope you take a lot out of this episode. I really do. And I hope you use the resources that I gave you today. And I hope you, above all, think for yourself. Think for yourself in this, guys. If you want to support the show and the work that we do, remember one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. I don't have a new item of the day for you. Those E-Tech City lanterns I had yesterday, um, they're still on a deal of the day. So the deal of the day is like a deal of the week or something. Four of them for 20 bucks. They're just awesome. Check them out. Um, E-Tech City's just great. Those lanterns are just great. Uh, remember, like that's a, a blackout type of uh, prep. 
just because we have a COVID crisis going on doesn't mean all the other things we prep for can't happen. In fact, it's usually when shit like this going on that something else happens, a tornado hits or something like that. So make sure you're, you're, you're not just preparing for the crisis du jour and uh, make sure you're preparing for any systems of support to fail. And backup lighting is always rating at 20 bucks for four lanterns, man. <laughs> Check it out again. And remember, you can get the Daily Mail. That'll have all this stuff on it. Uh, just by going to survivalpodcast.com and clicking on subscribe. Let's uh, wrap up. Um, I broke off of John Adams' song of the day today. I'll go back to his list tomorrow. It wasn't really I didn't like the song. I just wanted something different, something to kind of fit the mood of that final part of that segment today. So went to one of my favorite bands of all time. In, in recent music, even though it's old, uh, 2008 I think this song came out. Uh, but when I tell you it is, you'll understand why it's recent for them. ACDC. Um This song is just, it's just classic ACDC, like the opening guitar, and it is just like, oh, it's ACDC, right? That could be from 1978. It's ACDC. Uh, but it's called Spoiling for a Fight. And um, it kind of glorifies that fighting attitude. But I want you to use that as a, a counter. I want you to realize how easy it is to believe that you want to fight What if it's the type of fight I just talked about? You really don't. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, there's never been a good war or a bad peace. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.